We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. Division champs back to back. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media. We are partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello, and we got a great, unprecedented Week 18 preview episode for you tonight. Justin, how you doing? I'm doing well. We got a lot to talk about tonight. We got a a dominant, excellent uh, victory to recap over the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Some news potentially regarding the King and his imminent return, which is super exciting. I'm sure we're going to talk quite a bit about that. And finally, this week 18 uh, game against the Texans that obviously carries huge implications for the Titans. So uh, jam-packed episode here and a great guest uh, who's going to help us preview that Texans game briefly. That's right. We have Matt Weston, writer at Battle Red Blog and the voice of Battle Red Radio. I've done his podcast in the past. He is returning the favor for us tonight, so we will have him on shortly. We're also going to briefly talk about the DVOA nerds because I can't let it go without I can't do a podcast without mentioning it this this time of year. I've been it's been all over my Twitter timeline. I don't know how much longer I'm going to like keep tweeting about how annoying they are but as long as i keep getting 450 likes on the tweets that i tweet about them i'll probably keep doing it because it means you guys are still into it and as long as they keep getting attention for their ridiculousness they'll probably keep doing it too that's true so hey that is one thing like all right we'll get into all of it later but like one thing i'm always conflicted about is like should i keep giving them the clout that they are chasing but it's just like so much fun to dunk on them that i think i am going to keep giving them that clout all right Let's get into the news. Titans released five players, some from the active roster, some from the practice squad, most notably wide receiver Golden Tate. They have said goodbye. He did not uh, get elevated to the roster for a single game. So a lot of people are pretty upset about that, I think. And I don't know why, because the Titans don't need Golden Tate. But who are the other names? I know you have the list. Yeah, uh, first of all, it was Chris Jones, cornerback and linebacker Joe Jones from the active roster. Uh, then three guys released from the practice squad, Tate, as you mentioned, and a pair of defensive backs, Rodney Clemens and Shaheem Carter. Uh, obviously, Tate's the notable name here, losing, uh, no, not losing, I should say, but releasing a veteran guy, a local guy, right? That's from Hendersonville, Tennessee. People were super excited about the prospects of him playing for the hometown Titans. Heck, he tweeted like two days ago how excited he was that they had moved into the number one seed. So you feel a little bad for him on that front, as you know, he was pumped to play for uh, the hometown team. But you no, know, this guy's obviously on, on the wrong side of 30. I think he's about 33 now. Chances are he just doesn't have it left in the tank, right? And, and they had just seen enough and, and given him ample opportunity to prove that he could still run Chris Sprouts and contribute, and it's it's probably not the case. Um, three defensive backs released in total. That kind of caught my eye a little. Chris Jones from the active roster, then, of course, the pair of practice squatters that I mentioned. It, it's almost a good sign that uh, the team is really healthy at that position right now. And you think of what they've battled the last couple of weeks there with Jack Rabbit Jenkins battling an injury, missing some time. Buster Screen was on the COVID list for a while. Elijah Molden was on the COVID list for a while. Uh, Chris Jackson just got back about two weeks ago. So all of a sudden, this is a group that's really healthy and ready to go. And, and John Robinson probably feels like he 
doesn't need as much cover there as they've carried. And it's a good sign, obviously, those are four good players that they're going to need for the playoff run. So uh, that's pretty much it. Joe Jones was a special teams guy, mainly. At linebacker, you're four deep now, right, with Jayon Brown uh, coming back off COVID and David Long healthy. So really wasn't a need for him either. So these moves all point to ha- in the right direction in terms of how the Titans are getting healthy. And it's great news. Yeah, the, the injury report last week heading into the Dolphins game was the shortest it's been all season, and I expect it will be potentially even shorter heading into this final game. Which just one guy, by the way, ruled out before the game, right? right. Lorel Murchison, so. Which didn't happen until Sunday or Saturday night. Yeah, even, right? Saturday, I think. All right, that covers the news, I think. Let's get into this Dolphins recap here. The Titans dominate the Dolphins 34 to three one of their most dominating wins of the whole season I know they blew out the Jags earlier they beat the Chiefs pretty bad but this game was just I mean Miami could not get anything going on offense the couple times they did get drives going they either ended in a turnover or a late punt or a sack or something that derailed their drive Tua may not be a very good weather player because I was talking with our guest last week during the game Travis Wingfield and he was telling me that this is not the first bad weather game that Tua has played horribly in and that he he's starting to lose hope for Tua's ability to play in these games. I think the Titans did get a lucky draw playing him in this weather, but I think whether or not the Titans had the Dolphins number, the Dolphins had won seven straight games coming into this, but against pretty bad competition overall, they finally come up against a, a real opponent and get steamrolled. So Titans just completely dominated on the ground. Tannehill only has to throw 18 passes. Deontay Foreman carries the ball 26 times for 132 yards and that touchdown run on second and 10 where he just exploded through the line of scrimmage. Roger Saffold makes an incredible block on that play. First getting to the, uh, the nose tackle and then getting up to the second level to make another block. Dontrell Hilliard adds a 39-yard touchdown on at the end of the game when things were basically over after a David Long interception. Elijah Molden recovers a fumble that... I just like when Elijah Molden jumped on that fumble, the way he was like cradling the ball, like I just love him so much. He has so much heart and, and effort. And it's like, he's the guy jumping on the ball. Anyway, I'm all over the place right now. What were your top takeaways from this dominating performance? <laughs> well, quickly on Elijah Molden is he's a young player that's always around the ball. Right. And it surprises no one that, that watched him at the, at Washington, uh, Deontay Foreman, you said it 26 carries, 130. He also had that great yes. pass breakup. Yes, Molden had that great pass breakup that he batted into the air. It almost resulted in another turnover, but you kind of said it on Deontay Foreman 26 carries, 132 yards, a touchdown, 5.1 yards per carry. I mean, I, I had I didn't get a chance to look it up, but I would almost guarantee that those are career highs in carries and yards uh, for Foreman in a regular season game. And isn't Derrick Henry like workload, isn't it? 26 carries and 100. And th- I mean, it's an incredible game by him. He ran with such decisiveness, such physicality, really impressed me. A quick shout out that I want to give um, that, that I don't think you covered there is how about this offensive line? I, I, I can't remember if I wrote about it or talked about it in last week's episode, but I did one or the other where they were heading into this game. And I thought to myself, this is the first time in quite some time that they're going to have all five starting linemen available. Uh, you know, Taylor Lewan had a stint on COVID. You had Dylan Raiden start at left tackle, right? Against San Francisco. Roger Saffold had a stint on COVID and he's battled injuries obviously all year. Nate Davis has been battling uh, concussion issues for uh, a good portion of the season. 
Uh, speaking of Nate Davis, not to get off topic, but I think he's been terrific in their last three games. It's really nice to see him rounding into form after a really peculiar poor start to his season, but he's really peaking right now. And uh, the timing couldn't be any better, obviously, but rounding out that the starting five, of course, Ben Jones and, and David Kissenberry, who, who have been the healthiest members of that starting five this season, but this starting five gets back on the field together for the first time in quite a while. And boy, I think they played their best game on Sunday. I, I really do. They were unbelievable in run as a run blocking unit. I mean, that Foreman touchdown was incredibly blocked up front. I mean, you can go back and look at it. All five guys just, executing their assignment at the highest level imaginable. Sorry, did you want to cut in? Baldy had a great breakdown, Brian Baldinger, yes. of that particular touchdown run. I encourage you to go find it on his Twitter feed. I retweeted it, so you can check mine out if you want to. I, I think I did as well, but I remember seeing the run uh, live and thinking what, what Ben Jones had done up front on that play and Roger Saffold uh, as well getting to the second level, I believe, it's just was unbelievable. So it was really nice to see the way that they, they played in. And, and what about pass protection? I mean, Ryan Tannehill was only sacked once against his former team and it was a, a whiff by Jeremy McNichols in pass protection. So the one quarterback takedown that, by the way, that's a really good Miami front, by the yes. way, they've been, they've been getting a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, a lot of sacks. This isn't some crappy unit that they were playing against a really good front seven front four specifically. So uh, to give up just one sack on the day, and it was result of a whiff uh, by your, your third string, uh, you know, pass pro running back. It says a lot about how this offensive line played on Sunday. They were outstanding. Pod, Zach from Pod pointed this out. They only gave up one pressure, the O-line, the 5-0 lineman. It was David Questenberry gave up one pressure. That was it for the game. So that's the kind of thing that, like, gives you some confidence that this team is figuring everything out. And and like you said, peaking about Nate Davis, the whole offensive line, peaking at the right time right now as we get ready to head into the Week 18 and then the playoffs. And, and as good as Foreman was, well, you had Derrick Henry uh, behind this offensive line, the way they're blocking right now. And it opens up so many possibilities for explosive running plays, which in my opinion, they've really missed Henry. Foreman's been good, but he's not going to run away from the secondary, right? And he's not going to go for many 15, 20, 25 yard runs. So you had Henry behind this line and the, the possibility of explosives just bust wide open. Something I said on the broadcast about Foreman, this was his third 100-yard game of the season. He had had zero 100-yard games in his career prior to this, in three seasons prior to this one. So sometimes it's all about getting opportunity. That offensive line, though, is a really great run-blocking unit. They've been struggling in pass pro all year, but this game, they really put it together against, like you said, a great Miami defense. We predicted on this podcast a low-scoring game. We didn't expect Miami's offense to be able to do very much. We thought their defense would contain the Titans offense though. And they, the Titans only had about 300 yards of total offense, but they converted in the red zone. They scored touchdowns and they were able to run the ball so well that Hilliard run at the end of the game. I mean, it just really makes it difficult to come back from a deficit when the Titans build up a lead, when they're able to run the ball so well. And you know, what's funny about all that is uh, we talked about last week's episode uh, of how Todd Downing uh, had called a, a good second half against San Francisco. Yes, I know they only you know they didn't have a lot of total yards here, but I thought Todd Downing called an outstanding game, an outstanding game here against Miami. I agree. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap up the talk here? That the defense is playing outstanding. I want to shout out Harold Landry for racking up his twelfth sack of the year. Danico Autry, Bud Dupree, all playing really well. 
Speaking of Bud Dupree, should we get into this at all? I don't think there's anything to this misdemeanor charge. Broadway Sports had the video today. Looks like he's trying to break things up. TMZ had an even longer video that they somehow found that was surveillance tape that like doesn't look like Bud Dupree did a whole lot wrong. We probably won't get any resolution on this legally for a long time anyway, but I think we should at least mention it because it is kind of a hot topic right now. Any thoughts? Yeah, you said TMZ. Uh, of course, they are <laughs> you said they somehow got there. They get their hands on everything, right? One way or another. True. But uh, they got a better I, video than we did. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have a, a ton of thoughts on it. I, I, I do think it's worth mentioning because we would probably look silly for ignoring it. Um, just hope everybody's okay, obviously. And uh, yeah. I hope, um, you know, you never like to see uh, celebrities and, 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 and citizens get into these types of situations. So I hope everybody's okay. Um, if Bud Dupree, you know, uh, I hope he learns from it as well. Even if he didn't do anything wrong, maybe there's a lesson to be learned in terms of de-escalating and, and putting yourself in certain situations. So I just hope everybody's okay. And, and uh, you know, I agree largely that probably not a whole lot will come out of this. A couple of quick more shout outs I want to give. I think Amani Hooker played another outstanding game. He dropped an interception. He gave up a long completion to Jalen Waddle. But other than those two, like, I mean, the dropped interception isn't like a bad play. It was a good play. If if he makes his hand, gets his hands on it for real, it's a, an amazing play. But um, Amani Hooker continues to play really good football. Christian Fulton has just been outstanding this whole season, except for when he was out of the lineup. But one of his pass breakups really impressed me against Mike Gesicki, lined up one-on-one -on -one press coverage, gets his hands yes. in there and knocks the ball away. That otherwise would have been a catch. And Jackrabbit Jenkins continues to play outstanding football since Mike Herndon had this one at Mike Miracle since week seven. Jackrabbit has been an elite cornerback in the league right now. So, and obviously Jeffrey Simmons continues to play well. Kevin Byer continues to play well. This, this defense is just playing such good football. Zach Cunningham we'll talk about in a bit with our guest. It's also been playing really well. So huge game for the defense, only allowing three points. Um, it's the third time this season they've allowed three or fewer points. And then a final shout out. You hate to see an injury like this. Michael Pruitt playing really good for the Titans. The, they don't have a whole lot of tight end depth, at least not like good tight ends or skilled tight ends. And Pruitt has been playing well all season. Such a brutal injury. The way that his body was like shaking when he was laying on the field almost made me sick. I, I can't stand seeing injuries like that, especially to guys yeah. like, that we like. Friend of the podcast, Michael Pruitt, just, just an awful, awful thing. Yeah, we got to break down some film with Pru uh, last season, and that was a lot of fun. He's a, a great guy, really energetic, and obviously knows football uh, X's and O's and everything inside and out. Uh, I'll tell a quick story about Pruitt in, in hopes of properly capturing what he means to this team and his teammates specifically. I've, I don't know if I've told this story on the pod before. I feel like I probably have, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell it anyway because it's probably been years um, at the conclusion of the 2019 season, I believe it was, after the Titans had been eliminated in the AFC Championship game by the Chiefs, uh, Pruitt was on the Titans that year, right? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure the story is from 2019, but uh, Derrick Henry was uh, in town for the Super Bowl, and uh, he's you know making his rounds. He's he's you know talking to certain people, and he runs into by total fluke uh, Michael Pruitt's agent. They run into one another at the Super Bowl. They get to talk and they, you know, obviously the agent knows who Henry is. And I don't, I don't think Henry's all that familiar with, with the agent, but uh, this is Harold Lewis, by the way. And, and Derek Henry starts talking to Harold Lewis and Harold Lewis. Oh, I represent one of your teammates. Uh, uh, he's, he's set to hit free agency. Oh, who, who do you represent? Derek says. And, and, and Harold says, I represent uh, Michael Pruitt. 
And uh, and Henry goes on a tangent saying, look, I don't I don't care what you got to do. Do whatever it takes to keep Pruitt in Tennessee. I, I know he said to him for the agency, you get him, you know, you got to get the best deal he can get, obviously. But do whatever the hell you got to do to keep him in Tennessee, because I'll tell you right now, I can't do what I do without people like Pruitt. So that's a story that was told to me a couple of years ago, and I always think about it. Whenever I hear Pruitt's name, it always kind of comes up in my mind. So uh, I hope I've done I've done him justice by sharing that that moment and memory with you all because that's what Michael Pruitt means to his teammates. You've got the best running back in the NFL, who, by the way, was about to enter free agency himself right before the 2020 campaign uh, when this story is, is being told. And his concern when he runs into Pruitt's agent is you make sure you keep that guy in tennis. That's so that's so interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. And a shout out to our colleague at Broadway, Rob Greenlaw, the my co-host on the Flex podcast, who went to high school with Michael Pruitt. I thought he was kidding when he said that. What are the I mean, there, it's not like- that's why he's been that's why he's been a huge Pruitt fan for like since the Titans signed him however long ago. R- reminder that Green it's not like Greenlaw's, you know, Robert Greenlaw's from Nashville. It's not like Pruitt is from Nashville. Like I got to quickly look up the high school because I don't remember Greenlaw telling us what high school. It just you can't make it up. It, Kirkwood High School, public secondary school in Kirkwood, Missouri. So That's I right. mean, you just don't. What are the chances? Yeah, they are pretty crazy. I went to high school with Can Rex I, Burkhead, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, what's up? <laughs> you always bring up the Rex Burkhead. Can I go on a quick rapid fire? Cause I didn't get to talk about some of those things from the dolphins game that I want to absolutely hit it. touch on. I will make this quick, short and sweet shout out to a couple of underrated players. who I thought made nice plays on Sunday that no one else probably cares about me. Uh, no one, uh, no one else probably cares about other than me, excuse me. Cause I'm such a nerd. Shout out to Chris Jackson, who made an excellent special teams tackle on Miami's opening kickoff. Uh, First play of the game limited Miami to a 16 yard kick return. It meant that they started um, uh, their possession uh, before the 20 yard line. I think they were at the 18 yard line. It's a really good play by Chris Jackson. Great hustle to get down there and make the tackle. Uh, What about Chester Rogers with a great punt return late in the first quarter, Miami uh, were punting from their own territory. The Titans were already going to be set up with great field position, but I thought Chester Rogers did a great job, uh, you know, avoiding the fair catch, securing the ball in those weather conditions, by the way, and and ripping off a a third, a modest 13 yard punt return, but it set the Titans up in great field position as well. What about Brett Kern? Uh, Again, bad weather gets off four punts. Three of them were placed inside Miami's 20. Brett Kern has had some rough showings over the last couple of weeks, but he was great against San Francisco, was really good against Miami again. Uh, to, ha- to have three of those punts land inside Miami's 20 with that weather, I think says a lot about Kern and his ability. And shout out to Randy Bullock as well, who again, kicking in these difficult weather conditions was two of two on field goals and four of four on extra points. And, and heck, that second field goal was from 44 yards out. I had some slight concerns about that distance given the weather, but Randy Bullock goes six for six, uh, including extra points on the day. So shout out to Chris Jackson, shout out to Chester Rogers, shout out to Brett Kern and Randy Bullock. Last but not least, you kind of covered it, so I won't spend a lot of time, but 
this front four right now with Jeffrey Simmons, Dinico Autry, Harold Landry, and Bud Dupree are doing to get after the quarterback is astounding. We knew they were going to have opportunities to do so in this game. Miami may have the worst offensive line in the NFL, especially from a pass protection perspective. Young players like Austin Jackson, Liam Eikenberg are not quite living up to their draft billings yet. So we, we thought Tennessee would have those opportunities, but boy, did they cash in on them. It felt like Tua was running for his life the entire game. He didn't stand a chance. They were absolutely terrific, uh, winning their one-on-one battles, uh, getting pressure by creating stunts and twists and all that good stuff. You talked about Brian Baldinger tweeting out the video about the offense. Make sure you watch the one he tweeted about the defense as well. And that front four specifically, I thought that was my favorite video that he tweeted out because it was just, it was just incredible uh, how often they were collapsing the pocket and forcing to office spots uh, that does it for my mini rant of this defensive line and four guys that I kind of identified as uh, underrated heroes in this one. Nice. Thank you. That was great. I think we should now talk about the King and his potential return to the lineup. Diane Rossini had it. A few people had it. Some completely random account had it as well. But, and I guess the first person to really have it was Clay Travis. I don't like giving him any credit, but apparently Derrick Henry is going to return to practice on Wednesday. In order for that to be possible, the Titans will need to designate him to return from injured reserve. So I expect we will see that notification around the time that this podcast is tweeted out by Broadway Sports Media's Twitter account. We will probably be pretty close to that announcement when that happens. So expecting Henry to be designated to return, not necessarily expecting him to be activated prior to the Houston game. But it wouldn't shock me, especially if he has a good week of practice and the team feels like they want to get him a few carries just to knock the rust off, knowing that if they win this game, he'll have an extra week of rest to get back ready for the divisional round of the playoffs. So how exciting is it that Derrick Henry is finally ready to make his return? God, I don't I don't think I can contain my excitement. <laughs> I mean... This is so exciting as, as they head into the playoffs too. I mean, the timing, uh, let's be honest, they caught a bit of a break with that injury coming uh, where it came. If it comes two, three weeks later, I mean, he, he's not coming back, right? Most likely. So just, you know, obviously that was an unfortunate break, but the timing at least worked out in their favor somewhat. Um, if this offense misses him so much. I, I don't care what anyone says. They're, they, they're not meeting their full potential right now. I think they've really missed, as I alluded to earlier, the explosives. Uh, more than anything. I mean, they're averaging 24 points per game right now as well. With Derrick Henry in the lineup, this is an offense that averages 30 points per game, not just in my opinion. The numbers, the real numbers, by the way, not the DVOA or the AVOR or the SHK or whatever other numbers I'm not familiar, all that familiar SHIT. The SHIT numbers. Uh, no, they were averaging 30 points a game when Derrick Henry's in the lineup alongside A.J. Brown. So that's what I think this offense is capable of. I think you realistically get a four, five, uh, six uh, extra points per game. That's a boost in the arm, if, if I've ever heard of one, with Derrick Henry in your lineup. So uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, unless you're one of our diehards and you're listening to this Wednesday morning, 8, 9, 10 a.m., which you should be, uh, but most more likely than not, by the time you get to this podcast, Derrick Henry will have been designated to return. That's the large expectation. Heck, it was his birthday on the night of this recording, January 4th. So happy birthday to the king. But it feels like we're the ones getting the birthday gift here. I fully agree. I think this will happen. I, I'm working on a video. I've got a lot of tweets of people saying, where's the video for the Henry return? It's like, calm down, everyone. It's coming. I, I'm not going to drop it until after the Texans game. Sorry, everybody, but the video is not coming for at least a week. But it will be coming 
I want to move my topic now to a combo of this DVOA nerd talk and the Mike Vrabel Coach of the Year talk because I think Mike Vrabel deserves Coach of the Year. I think Matt LaFleur has a really good case as well. Packers fans really think Matt LaFleur should be Coach of the Year. The Packers have dealt with a number of injuries, including to their offensive line, including to a lot of skill position players. They were without Devontae Adams for a couple games. They've had a lot of injuries too. Their defense has been banged up. Their best left tackles is out, of course. But the Titans have set a record for most players played in a season. The Titans have had more injuries than any team has ever had. The Titans have rolled out seven different starting offensive line groups. So it's not like the Packers are the only team dealing with offensive line issues. The the Titans have lost... Their top four receivers at various points in the year played without all four of them. Their top three running backs played without all three of them and and just continue to go out and win football games. They were missing huge chunks of the secondary, the linebacking core, the defensive line. Bud Dupree missed a bunch of time. Like This team has been so banged up. And sure, it's not just about which team missed the most time. The Titans have had to overcome a lot of adversity, a lot of great coaching that allows them to develop these game plans. You can see the Titans have a different game plan when they come out to play against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes from what they have against the Dolphins and Tua Tungavailoa. Like they are adaptive week to week, which you expect from somebody who played for Bill Belichick for years. But Mike Vrabel really brings that adaptability every week to the game plan, the game management. He's up there near the near the top of the edge sports rankings in terms of his decision making this season. We've had some complaints about that in past years. But this year, when it comes to time to decide when it's time to kick a field goal versus go for it versus punt, he has been pretty spot on, I think, with his decision making this year. His challenges have been pretty much really like like, I I don't know if he's lost a challenge this season, maybe one or two. But his his red flag challenge throws are better than any coach in the league. So give him coach of the year for that. Am I right? Um, No, but all that all that said, I think the. uh, Defying media expectations by winning the division again when everyone thought it was the Colts division to win and currently holding that one seed. If the Titans beat the Texans and he secures the one seed in the AFC, which I think most people think, I mean, the NFC is weaker, right? People agree the NFC is weaker. The AFC is very top heavy with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals playing so well and the Titans and the Patriots holding that top spot for a number of weeks in the middle of the year. For the Titans to be able to come out and get that one seed, they have six wins against playoff teams this year, six and two against this year's playoff field, four and one against the AFC playoff field. How do you not give this guy coach of the year? I think the only reason he won't win if he doesn't is because the Titans are a small market team or they blow the game week 18 against Houston. Like those are the only two reasons, in my opinion, Mike Vrabel would not win coach of the year. I'll I'll take a, I'm not saying that you're taking a biased point of view, but I'll take a non-biased point of view. I I think it's as long as they give this award to Vrabel or LaFleur, I won't have any complaints. I, I think LaFleur, if we were Green Bay fans, we'd probably be sitting on this podcast and talked about how they lost Jair Alexander and Zadarius Smith, and they haven't had their starting left tackle all season long, right? David uh, Bakhtieri, who's an excellent left tackle. Then they plugged in Elton Jenkins, who's an interior offensive lineman, who, by the way, is one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL, bar none, I can pretty much guarantee you. If you turn on the tape, you'll be blown away by this guy. They plugged him in at left tackle, and then they lost him as well. So they've they've gone through a lot this season as well. Um, When people, and I'm not 
how do I word this? Uh, I'm not saying it should definitely be LaFleur, but you shouldn't have any complaints if it is. Uh, a lot of people talk about, well, he has Aaron Rodgers, and, and that's a fair point to an extent for sure. But one thing that really shocked me, I wish I had it in front of me. I can't find it. Go look up Green Bay's record the previous two or three years uh, without Matt LaFleur, but still with Aaron Rodgers on the rock. It's actually shockingly different from uh, how much better it's been with LaFleur. So uh, that, that excuse can almost somewhat get thrown out, uh, out the window. As long as it's one of these two guys, look, Vrabel to me should win, but it's awfully close. Heck, I, I almost wish they could do, can they do co, uh, co-coach of the year? And like we well, saw Peyton they can. Manning and Steve McNair share MVP that one year. Yeah, they absolutely I mean, can. What happened with that was that it wasn't that they just decided both guys deserved it. It's based on the votes and the, oh, votes, the votes were a yeah. tie. So if the votes are a tie for Vrabel and LaFleur, they will be co-coaches of the year. That, that would be my, my favorite outcome. I know it's probably not all that realistic, but I, I think both of them deserve it. And, and, and obviously, Vrabel, you said, I mean, they've used, I think, 89 players now this season. I wrote an article for the Draft Network earlier this week about how the Titans have, we called how they've defied um, the analytics. And I said, I, I dare you to recognize some of these players, right? I mean, they've started five left tackles this year. That, that's something not enough people are talking about. Titans have started five left tackles this year in, in I guess, what is it now? Uh, 16 games. So that is insanity, right? I mean, that's almost that's a crazy one number. left tackle every three <laughs> games. It's, it's unheard of and crazy. And then, you know, who, who, with all due respect, who, is Woodrow Hamilton and uh, Joe Jones and Dylan Cole. And uh, they, people forget Brent Curd was out for a while and Johnny Townsend came in and punted. And like, they've, they've just had so many guys uh, on this team this year that um, I, I think there's no denying the job Vrabel has done. And yes, I had someone tell me the other day, well, they won 11 games last year. They're sitting at 11 wins right now. And, and that may sound like a fair argument on the surface, but situations entirely different. I don't remember thinking the Titans were all that banged up last year. Yeah. They had some bad injuries and they lost Taylor Lewan and Jayon Brown, but for the most part, I thought they were okay in the health department, certainly not the disaster that it's been this year. So you can't compare this year to last year because the job description for Mike Vrabel has been entirely different this year. He had a 2000 yard rusher last year with Derrick Henry and then he lost him this year on Halloween. So the, the job's been forget, entirely different. Let's not forget Vrabel's decisions to promote Todd Downing and Shane Bowen as his coordinators, which were largely lamented, not just by Titans fans, but across the media landscape as being awful decisions that would totally backfire. And here, here we are with, with Shane Bowen can coordinating you, a top. Can you imagine? No, just what you said. Can you imagine the shit show we would be living through in Tennessee right now if this defense was bad? Let's be honest. I mean, there'd be people calling for Mike Vrabel's head. Think of the, think of the swing of that pendulum where we're saying he's probably coach of the year, but I promise you if this defense wasn't good and they weren't very good because of it, the decision to promote, to keep promote, keep Shane Bowen. Oh my God. I mean, Mike Vrabel would potentially be, you know, I, I'm not saying that he would, but he'd potentially be on the hot seat, right? Cause that decision was so unpopular with the fan base at the time and rightfully so to uh, the defense was terrible last year but imagine <laughs> if he had gotten that wrong <laughs> yeah exactly and i don't think people talk about that enough or even give him any credit or think about that as being part of his coach of the year resume but it absolutely should be and it deserves to be so and then you know adding zach cunningham have, oh, 
three four quarters of the way through the season and getting him up to speed quick enough for him to be a starter and then lead the team in tackles since he joined the team. That's pretty impressive coaching as well. So I think we got to give Mike Vrabel his due. I know Titans fans, we're preaching to the choir right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to put a resume tweet together about it. I really think Mike Vrabel deserves coach of the year. If the Titans can take care of business this weekend against the Texans. And speaking of taking care of business this weekend against the Texans, Let's get to our guest in this preview of the Houston Texans game. We're very excited to welcome in Matt Weston, writer for Battle Red blog. That's the SB Nation Texans site and the voice of Battle Red Radio. As I mentioned at the top, I was on his podcast not too long ago, maybe a little while ago. Now he's coming to return the favor for us. You can find Matt on Twitter at Matt underscore underscore Weston. That's two underscores. Matt how you doing? Thanks for joining us. And do you want to explain why there are two underscores in your Twitter handle? Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me on, uh, Justin and Justin. Well, I did that because my, I don't know, mine was like, just like MBW987. And I was told you know, a few years before that that's a bad one to have from like some local Houston uh, people who, who are in the media over there. I was like, yeah, it makes sense. And I could never think of anything at all. I was like, well, the one single underscore was already selected. So I did the two and then nobody could find me. So I had to make sure it was very explicitly stated, you know, like I try to do things like, you know, football, 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 or, you know, stupid football, but nothing really kind of uh, worked out at all. So here we are, you know, <laughs> nice. I, I love it, Matt. Uh, I, I, we've got a couple of questions for you. I, I want to start with, I think one that's probably the most pressing question in, in Houston right now in regards to this Texans team Davis Mills, you know, third round quarterback out of Stanford has played pretty well as of late, surely a lot better than he was at near the beginning of the season when he first started getting those live reps. What do you make of the season Davis Mills is putting together? And do you think it's enough to keep Houston out of the quarterback market this coming off season? Yeah. Mills has kind of had like a, a weird you know, star in Houston because whenever he took over for Tyrod Taylor, after he popped his hamstring against Cleveland, you know, he was unplayable for his entire run of teams he played against. The run offense was awful. The offensive line wasn't good. And the defenses he played against were, you know, some of the better defenses in the league. And then after the, um, and then since then, you know, Taylor returned from injury, took his spot back over. He was you know, bad for every single game he was in. You know, they, he beat Tennessee that week, but it was just because they had two rushing touchdowns and they forced, you know, five turnovers that game. They kind of like, you know, bridged the gap to be able to actually score some points, but he was benched against Indy Davis Mills put up the same stat line in the second half of that one. They kept Mills as a a starter. Um, He had one good half against Seattle. He was fine against Jacksonville. You know, his two touchdowns were on a bubble screen and then um, like a sprint ride option where they ran a combo breaker where, Brand Cooks took up off the seam and turned to a touchdown. And like, he was like legitimately great against the chargers, but they were without, you know, three of their starters. And I do think like the collective of all the no names, the Texans have probably doesn't match as much of an impact that Derwin James and Jerry Bose has on the field, but he was still great that game. They actually had some sort of ro- rushing attack. And then he was bad last week in San Francisco. And so like for Mills this year, I think it's admirable that he's gone from unplayable to playable. And like, I think he can be a complimentary passer, maybe be, you know, like average to below average. If you have a great rushing attack and you have receivers who can make plays happen after the catch, you know, like as far of like his uh, elementary start to his career. But I don't think by any means he's been good enough to warrant not 
getting another quarterback for next year. And I just mean like finding like a under 30, you know, highly drafted quarterback with some talent that you could bring in there at least like have some sort of a, a quarterback battle with, or even drafting a quarterback in like the first or second or third round, just depending if somebody falls, maybe that goes to some spot that's uns, um, unsuspected had a drop that you weren't really thinking he would be there at just because like, he's been, you know, really bad. He's been a bottom five quarterback. He's had, you know, like three good games this year. And it just hasn't been performance worthy of saying like, this is our starting quarterback in 2022 and just closing the book on it from there. You know, I saw a tweet where someone said um, if Davis Mills were in the upcoming draft class, he would be the top quarterback on the board. And it, it sounds crazy on the surface, but I don't know that it's impossible or all that unlikely. I, I think it's very, you know, the, the NFL liked Davis Mills uh, a fair bit heading into last year's draft. So you look at this class, I mean, guys like Kenny Pickett, if, if the hands are as small as some people are, are concerned they are, uh, you know, uh, Matt, Matt Corral hasn't done a whole lot uh, to separate himself from the pack. Neither has Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis. I think there's a good chance that Mills may have been the top quarterback in this 2022 class. Yeah, it's crazy. And I heard that last year, too, because like I don't watch much college football at all until after the year's over. And then I'll watch some NFL draft stuff. Um, cause like, I love football, but like, you know, 24, 20 hours of football over the course of weekend, just a little bit too much. Um, but like, I heard that last year is like, well, you know, he would have been a first round pick if he stayed for another year at Stanford. And like, I didn't think he was very good at Stanford at all. Um, he was like good throwing with, t- with like touched on the sideline, but he had accuracy problems and walked into a lot of bad sacks and didn't, he didn't, only he didn't start, break very like, many tackles. How many games did he even start? He started I like, think like 13 yeah. also. Cause he had some knee injuries too. Um, but like he just wasn't very good in Stanford. And like, it's funny watching him even this year in the NFL because he's so much better, um, than he ever was at Stanford. Like he's done a lot of things that he didn't do. There were like, he's been throwing better in the short passing game. He actually breaks tackles in the pocket and can make some plays on the run. Um, his like arm strength is picked up too, playing indoors also. And so like, he's a different quarterback than he was at Stanford. And so, yeah, like if, I guess if this one wins to the draft, maybe so, but it's one of those, uh, kind of like funny things that, Kind of was silly last year that after his performance this year, you know, maybe that's how it would have worked out. Yeah, I should I should prefix that by a preface that by saying uh, it's more a reflection of how weak this upcoming class is perceived than than it is Mills being some great talent. I, I got another question for you before I throw it over to Justin over there, um, David Colley. I I don't quite know what to make of him because I think heading into the season there was obviously a lot of you know unfortunate jokes that it felt like he was hired to be fired and that. Uh, he's a, a great leader, but maybe is in over his head. Um, some of that may still be true, but I would also say they've been fairly competitive under David Colley, and I think uh, more competitive than anyone expected them to be. I mean, hats off. They haven't been you know, blown out in a lot of games, at least in my opinion, or they haven't looked underprepared. Uh, you know, they won that week one game. Heck, they beat the Titans week two against Cleveland. I remember they took them right down to the wire until they had uh, the injury to Taylor. So, they're certainly playing hard for this guy. And, and I don't think you can ask much more of that. Certainly that, you know, the roster's not overly talented and he's getting a lot out of it. So what is your take on Kali and the apparent decision that's already been made to retain him for 2022? Yeah. I think the thing about Coley compared to like last year's Texans team is that when they were bad last year, it was like in the rebel Bill O'Brien and nobody wanted to be there. And it just felt like they all kind of gave up. Like, and it was just like Watson, you know, playing hard and trying to like will the team to win every week. But, you know, you just watch that defense and they weren't trying to tackle. They didn't want to get hit. 
Uh, but this year's team is a little bit different. I think some of it's also just the roster construction of it too. It's a lot of veterans on one-year contracts. It's a lot of like mid-round drafted players. Um, it's a lot of guys that were signed, you know, two months into the season, they kind of snuck into the active roster also. And so they're not really in a spot where they can like take plays off or just hang out like in a downbeaten season. And so I think part, some of it's roster construction. I think some of it too is just like, you know, the idea of what the Texans want to be, where they want to have like an open competition for, you know, spots all across the roster. I think the best thing about David Coley though, it's that like, he's just been such a bad game manager or some of the decisions have been so egregious that I think it would have been, you know, wise to move on after the season. Um, even though like four wins was expected, you know, for the the talent roster they had, but just like just week in and week out, he just made decisions that were, you know, pretty disastrous for, you know, them that they're actually trying to win football games this year. And a good example was like last week against San Francisco, where they punt with three timeouts left, uh, down by 10 with 636 left. And it's like, then they face like fourth and six with the ball pass midfield. So you have to go for in that situation. And then they punt the 49ers score a touchdown immediately after them, the game's over. And so we've just seen that so many times this year. And like, I, and we don't know what he does offensively. This is the, the second worst offense by DVA. I know how much you guys love DVA this week. Um, the bears are the Whoa. only team with the worst, with the worst DVA than they do. But like, if you look at yards, you know, everything else, this is the worst rushing offense in football. It's a bottom, like four passing offense too. And Cole is supposed to be like an offensive guy as well. I think at minimum, they'll probably fire Tim Kelly and get the offensive coordinator here in Houston. Uh, but I think Cole has been like, he's been about what you expected, except you think he'd be better as a game manager considering that's his, his only job during the game since he doesn't call plays. Um, and it would make sense for them to, to to move on from him. But like him being here for another bad Texans team next year isn't like, you know, all that surprising. Interesting, Hold on, yeah. the, the Titans, Graver, can you confirm, does the Titans have a better DVOA than the Texans do? Who knows? The Titans might have the worst DVOA since the stat was invented. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's Yeah, I thought the Texans had a better one, to be honest. Uh, they did beat the Titans head-to-head, but that doesn't matter for DVOA at all. So actually, the Titans probably – the Texans probably DVOA got lowered by beating the Titans because that's how the uh, formula works. Right, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's something, it's something like that. Like, I think DVOA is good because it, it removed, like, yards as a, as a statistic because yards is a dumb stat. It's, like, it's a cumulative stat, you know? And, like, it being right, efficiency is good, but it's like everything else. Like, it's a framework, and you have to watch the game to know what's really going on. And I think a lot of that gets missed whenever you have national people where it's, it's hard to watch 16 football games a week, you know, watch every team. And so it's easier just like pull up the numbers and be like, Oh, I know what's going on here. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a metric that, that has its place, but it's not an end all be all because there is no end all be all metric. Um, You mentioned there, the Texans continuing to play competitive or at least trying to play competitive. And I think that, you know, the Titans have played the Texans. This will be the third year in a row that they end their season against Houston. And last year, Derrick Henry, well, the last two seasons, Derrick Henry had huge final games of the season. One year, he was able to set the, uh, to lead the NFL in rushing with this final game. Last year, he obviously went over 2,000 yards for the season. This year, we'll see if Derrick Henry is back, but I do think it's it's a lot different Texans team now because I feel like, they're going to be wanting to play spoiler for their division rival here. If the Texans beat the Titans, the Titans likely won't end up in the one seed. So I do think that the Texans will be plenty motivated to come into this game. And they've been pretty competitive. I mean, the last three weeks, they won as many games that they won in the first 14 weeks of the season, doubling their win total. So they beat, they beat the Chargers, who are a playoff team right now. I'm curious how competitive you expect this game to be 
because personally, I think Titans fans may be overlooking this game a little bit. You never know with division matchups, things like that. So where, how do you see the Texans coming out to play this week, knowing it's their last game of the season in a year that is kind of a lost year for the team? Yeah, it is kind of weird how it's worked out where like last year, you know, the Texans being as bad as they were, Deshaun Watson was able to have a great game and it takes A.J. Brown making, you know, a catch at the end of the half, at the end of the game to be able to set up a game-winning field goal to win, uh, last, win last year and the year before that. You know, Derek Henry ran all over them. That, that was kind of a blowout there, but, but those two teams, like they always play some weird games with each other. And there's also so many former Texans too playing for the Titans that gets intermingled as well. Um with that too, like, I don't know, like they're going to play like tough and everything. They're not going to like just kind of sit out and hang out because it's the last game of the season. And then the big problem though for the Texans this year in this matchup is that they've been so bad at defending the outside zone. And they just have like a lot of, they don't have a lot of speed at the linebacker position. And they're like, their edge defenders aren't very good at like setting the edge and bending runs back in at all. And so you see their linebackers like really flow hard to the point of attack in the outside zone game. And the cutbacks just open over and over again. And like Justin Jackson had a great game against them. The Browns had a great game running against them. Um, the Niners had a great game yesterday. Even the Jets ran the ball great against them too. And so I think it's just like kind of a big problem. Like regardless of what's going on with the Titans pass catchers, I know there's been injuries in, in that side of the ball. Like with how well their outside zone game has been you know, the past few weeks and with Deontay Foreman too, I think it's just going to be hard for Houston to score you know, 17 points against this Tennessee front with their offensive line issues. And I really think Tennessee could probably run the ball like 45 times in this game and average like five and a half yards to carry, you know? I don't know if anyone out there saw this, but uh, somebody on Instagram got mad at AJ Brown for not having a great fantasy championship performance. And he said, we ran the ball so well, fuck your fantasy team. <laughs> I feel like it could be another type of game like that where the Titans are able to just run the ball. You mentioned all the former Texans. Obviously, you have like players like Ben Jones. You got Anthony Midget in this in the secondary coach, Mike Vrabel, Shane Bowen, lots of guys on staff. A Zach but Cunningham revenge game. That's where I was going. Okay. Just, just what do sure. you what do you make of this release of the of Zach Cunningham for whatever? Like I don't even Coley said something about a culture fit or it seems bizarre. The, the standard is what he said. The standard. Yeah. He wasn't Deont- being the standard. Deontay Foreman revenge Deontay game Foreman as well. Was just going to throw mind, that yeah. out there before you get into your Zach Cunningham. <laughs> A Dylan, Dylan Cole revenge game. Kendall Lamb revenge game. Yeah. David Questenberry revenge game. <laughs> hey, hey, so- hey, the first... The first Titans-Texans game was unfortunately a uh, – who was it? It was um, – Desmond King revenge Desmond game. Desmond King revenge game. That's, got, that's the name I was forgetting. <laughs> right. Um, so what do you make of the Texans releasing Zach Cunningham? Because since he's arrived in Tennessee, he's like their leading tackler and been one of their best run stoppers on defense. Yeah, I mean, like I've watched you know, Zach Cunningham for the past two years, and he's always been – like whenever he was at his best is whenever he was on a stack front seven where he just played will linebacker and he just like ran around guards with speed and then just chased and tackled. And then with the injury of Bernard McKinney in 2020, they had to move him to Mike linebacker and he just can't read, the, read his keys there. Uh, his run fits were awful. He is, he's like a real leaping tackler, a lot of grabbing. He's bad in the, uh, in the passing game too in coverage and like a complete thermal position. And so this year in Houston, he went back to a linebacker when they moved back to the 4-3. And like the same like technique issues he had at Mike in 2020 were still there um, this year for this Texans team. Like he got benched on third downs at one point because he was so bad in pass coverage. 
Um, again, like the run fits were bad. The tackling was bad. Like he just didn't want to play football. And so there was something that happened that soured his relationship with the team in Houston. I don't know if it was just like the coaching staff or the general manager or the fact they had this big contract and maybe they were upset with him. They wasn't playing up to, you know, the, the contract that he was given, you know, it just isn't like a fault for Zach Cunningham. It's just a fault for the Texans. Not understand like he's good at this thing. You don't pay a guy this much to be good at this thing. And whenever he had to like um, get better than that, when they lost front seven talent, he wasn't like a cornerstone level player that should be being paid, you know, $10 million a year. And so like releasing him made perfect sense. Like there wasn't a need for him to be in Houston for how, how bad he was playing. But like as soon as he was released, like I, I said on Twitter, like he's going to go with the tight ends and he's going to be really good. He's going to make a bunch of tackles that people are going to upset about it. And like, that's what we've seen so far. And just like the thing about Cunningham, if he's playing on a stack front seven, like the Titans have right now, and he can just chase and tackle, like he's great at that. Just like, don't get him in one versus one coverage situations. Um, don't have him like out there defending the flat, you know, use him as a blitzer sometimes if you have to, but mainly just like give him on the, on the weak side of the formation, let him chase and tackle. And he's, he's incredible at that. And he's a guy like if he's doing his like specific role, he's great at that role that he gets to do. Nice. Yeah, I think that's what we've seen. We know Mike Vrabel knows how to put him in position to succeed given their time together in Houston. So, yeah, he's been a great fit for the Titans. You definitely called that one. Uh, Matt, we really appreciate your time tonight. We are going to wrap things up here with one final question. And we ask all our guests this question. What are your expectations for this game? How you see it unfolding? Uh, a winner prediction, and maybe if you are feeling bold, a score prediction, but that's not required. How do you see this game going on Sunday? Yeah, I haven't been to a Texans game in like 12 years or something like that. Um, so I'm going to go to the game this weekend to actually make the drive out there. And so I haven't been to a game in a, long, in a while. I wanted to go to this Titans game, like going into it, because I like the Titans. You know, they're, uh, I guess, like, I, I like every team in the NFL except for the Indianapolis Colts, you know, but the Titans are fun. The Jaguars are, are hilarious. Uh, but so I want to go to this game because I wanted to go to like a 6,000 capacity crowd, like week 18, nobody there. I want to watch Derek Henry run for like 250 yards and, you know, break the rushing record 18 game or a 17 game season now. But I guess he probably won't play. So I won't be able to watch that happen. So I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm just excited if I like see the game again in person. Um, but I think this is a game where, like I mentioned, the Titans are going to run outside zone really well. And like, especially they run play action. The Texas have had a lot of problems against like deep crossing routes and play action because they like to play cover three um, on base downs now because they're so bad stopping the run. They're also missing, you know, their two starring safeties and Jonathan Owens and Justin Reed. And so like the deep ball will be open if they want to take some shots downfield while play action. And I just think like for this team that Houston has that wants to run the ball, they're awful against the run. Um, that they're going to have a lot of trouble against this Titans front. Like Rex Burkhead's like maybe fine as your third running back, but he's the team's primary ball carrier right now. And then the Titans secondary is back to health and it's Brandon Cooks is the entire of their passing offense and that's it. And like once you get Davis Mills like off his like first read, he really kind of loses confidence um, and where to go the ball. And then that allows a pass rush to kind of really open up and get in there. And like the Texans have pass protected fine you know, the last like three, four weeks of the season. Um, but it, it still like isn't like an elite unit that can kind of corral this this Titans pass rush. It's been really good. So I think it's gonna be a game like the Titans should win, you know, probably 23 to 10 or 27 13. Um, I think maybe close for a little while just because of how you know these teams usually play. Usually kind of is like a more like a closer, sillier sort of game. But uh, I think it's gonna be fine. I think it's a game the Titans should control pretty well. And then that way they can rest up and go into the cocoon and uh, hibernate until you know Derek Henry's back for the division around the playoffs. Nice. Yeah. I think that's, that's a pretty good prediction. I like 
almost everything you said. And Titans fans certainly hope it plays out that way. Matt, we really appreciate this time tonight. Thanks for your insight. Anything you want to plug or say before we let you go? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt, double underscore Weston. Um, I'll post Texans Titans clips probably next week whenever the the game takes place. I commit myself to two things this season just because my life got a little bit hectic this year, having a newborn, things like that. But uh, I I told myself I was going to do every post clips for every Texans game for the all 22, no matter how bad it gets. And I do the podcast as well. And I haven't been able to watch as much as the NFL, but but that's there. So if you want to watch some Texans Titans clips next like Tuesday night, you know, it will be there for you. There you go. Certainly give Matt a follow on Twitter. Check out those clips. Congrats on the newborn. And uh, hopefully we talk to you again soon. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks again to our guest, Matt Weston, for joining us. His insight, remember you follow him on Twitter at Matt, double underscore Weston. That's W-E-S-T-O-N. All right, let's talk about this game very briefly. I think the Titans should roll. They should steamroll the Texans. If they don't, that's a huge problem, I think, uh, with their just like mental preparation. But I don't think this team is going to take this lightly at all. Somebody, was it Taylor Lewan? Somebody said in a post-game press conference or, or tweeted or there was mention of, oh, the Bengals won? We got to put, we got to get our shit together for next week or something like that. Like they know how important it is to, to secure the one seed in the bye. They want a week off in the playoffs too. So obviously they will come out and try. So I'm going to go ahead and predict a 31 13 Titans victory. What you got? I think you're probably about bang on. I'll go, I'll go 30 to 13. I'll, I'll shave one point off. Uh, I expect them to handle business here, as you said. I mean, they know how important this one seed is. I mean, not just we we keep talking about the week off, but how about avoiding having to go into Arrowhead in January? I mean, who the hell wants to go into Arrow? Nobody, I promise you, no one wants to go to Arrowhead in January. It is freezing cold. Give the fans the credit; they are incredible. That atmosphere is insane, especially in the playoffs. We remember what it was like in the AFC Championship game. That atmosphere was great. Um, so not only do you get to have the week off, and of course. Uh, get to play in Nashville, but you don't have to go. And think about the other teams that were in contention for the one seed. I know they may not be realistic now, but not only do you not have to go to Arrowhead, but you also don't have to go to Foxborough. And yes, I know you've won a playoff game there before, but it's still freezing and miserable. How about going into Orchard Park? You want to go to Buffalo in January? So this, this is huge. It's huge. So we'll talk next week about who we would prefer the Titans see in the divisional round. Remember, everything gets reseeded after the first round of games. If a, if an upset happens, the Titans will end up playing the lowest possible. The lowest seed that wins will be the Titans opponent. So hopefully it's not the Colts. I don't know. You I, just said that the like they already have the bye. I know. You just said that like they already have the bye. If they lose it's the Texans, they don't deserve the day. If they get swept by the Texans, they don't oh, deserve the bye. God. They don't deserve it. So there is still a scenario no, where they, they can don't. get it, by You're... the way. If um, if the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals and a bunch of teams all lose with the Titans losing, then they'll be fine, right? Patriots do. So um, there is a scenario, but all right, I'm going to throw it to you for your last comments on this podcast before we wrap it up. This is a long one where I think we're close to an hour. No, I don't, I don't really have anything to say. You talked about, yeah, we'll save that, I think, for next week, hopefully, where we can preview um, which opponent we would prefer to play instead of actually previewing a Titans game. We don't want to be doing that. We want to preview uh, an opponent that we wish to play. 
Absolutely correct. So we will be back next week to recap the final week of the regular season and preview the playoffs, whatever that means for the Titans. You guys know where to find us by now. Music City Audible Podcast at MCA Broadway on Twitter. Haven't tweeted in a while. Whoops, that's my bad. At Justin M underscore NFL to follow Justin. You can find me, of course, at Titans Film Room. BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We got that video of Bud Dupree's altercation alleged incident up right now. You can go check that out at the website. It crashed this morning, but it is back up and running again. So no need to worry. Go check that out. That's all we got. Leave us a five-star review with with a comment and a message, and we'll read it on the show. Didn't get any this week, so nothing to read there. But that's it. Until next week, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.